Thank you for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Now, uh, I uh, tonight I'm going to go really fast, and then um, and then you can hang out together after that. I'm going to go really fast because uh, because tonight I'm not going to talk about very many attributes. I'm only going to talk about one. And it's, it's only the hem of his garment. Just one. I'm not talking about his eyes or his hair or his voice. I'm not talking about his heart or his passion or his power tonight. Uh, I'm only going to talk about the hem of his garment. It's a, it's a relatively insignificant uh, part of who he is. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal at all. It's just the very edge of his being. The, the hem of his garment. And um, I should tell you, let me just, I'm just going to, I am going to go really fast. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. And um, I should tell you where this came from. Years ago, I was at a, uh, a conference, a church service. I, I, I was at an altar somewhere. And... Uh, and all in a moment, the Lord connected this common thread of the hem of his garment that runs throughout Scripture. And I'm going to focus on three different places today. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about the significance of the hem of his garment, what it, what it does, how we access it, what it accomplishes in our life, and why it accomplishes things in our lives. Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 6 first, Isaiah chapter 6. It says this, uh, I'll just read verse one. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, if you were here Sunday, you heard me talk about the significance of the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, the significance of that, and in case you weren't here Sunday, is, uh, is that in this, at this point in history, when a king would conquer another nation, they would strip the, the king of that nation and, and lead him through the, the streets uh, to, to humiliate him and to glorify the king of the conquering nation. But they would take the robe of the conquered king and they would sew it to the end of the, the robe uh, of the, the conquering king. And so the, the victorious king in, in this battle, his robe would get even longer. And so when Isaiah describes the Lord sitting on a throne, the train of his robe filled the temple... Uh, what he's describing is, is a king who has conquered every nation. A king that rules above every other king. A king that stands undefeated, unmatched, and unchallenged. This is the picture that we get of the one who sits on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6. And now there's so much more in this passage, and I'm not going to try to wring it all out. I'm going to do my best to stay on topic tonight. But it, it says this, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so that I, I got this picture as I'm standing years ago at this, at this altar of the, the train of uh, the, the robe of the Lord beginning as, as we exalt him, as we lift him up, as we glorify him, as we worship him, as we esteem him appropriately. I saw this picture of the train of his robe actually being an, uh, a sort of active uh, uh, 
an active substance that would fill the space and surround and swirl around everyone in the room. And I began to look around the room and we would exalt, we were exalting the Lord and the train of his robe is just weaving in and out of people. It's spinning around people. It's wrapping them up. It's, uh, it's covering them. The train of his robe is filling the temple, not like an inanimate object that's sitting off in a corner somewhere that has to be moved with a forklift, but, but like a living, active substance that would begin to reach out and touch the lives uh, and, and, and surround and, uh, and cover the people that were in the room. And so immediately the Lord took me from Isaiah uh, 6 verse 1 and he took me to Luke chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 8 uh, maybe many of you are familiar with the story of the uh, uh, of, of the, the woman with the issue of blood and, uh, and in Luke chapter 8 uh, it says that, that a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the hem of his garment the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped and now the Lord connected these two passages because in Isaiah 6, we see the train of his robe, the, the hem of his garment weaving in and out of the temple, being accessible and, uh, and, and I would even say unavoidable for everyone that was in the room. It fills the temple. It doesn't say it's really big. It doesn't say it takes up half the space or even most of the space, but the train of his robe fills the temple. And then I heard the Lord say, and it heals everyone that it touches. Now, the, the context of this woman, uh, the story of this woman is that she's, uh, for, for 12 years, has had an issue of blood. She has spent all her livelihood. Now, uh, in case you're, you, you're not aware of the cultural context, this woman probably didn't have much livelihood to spend uh, because barren women don't usually have uh, much going for them. Uh, and so this, this woman isn't trying to just get rid of the inconvenience of an issue of blood. This woman is trying to redeem her legacy. Are you following? She's trying to redeem her ability to multiply. And she understands that her ability to multiply is contingent on her proximity to Jesus. I wish, I wish y'all could hear this through my ears. Uh, her ability to multiply is contingent upon her proximity to Jesus. So everybody else is pushing and, and, uh, and, and pulling. And in fact, it, Jesus turns and he says, who touched me? And when everyone denied it, Peter and, and those with him said, Master, multitudes throng and press you. So they're saying, everyone's touching you. Everyone's touching you. So he, he didn't say, who touched me? He said, who touched me? Because there's a difference. There's a difference in simply brushing against Jesus and that you're in the same place at the same time versus reaching out and really touching him with faith attached to it. And so this woman touches him with faith attached to it. And, um, and so she comes and she falls down and she, uh, and she declares to him and uh, declares uh, to him in the presence of the people uh, the, the reason that she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, this is... Um, I think such an uh, amazing thing. I won't spend too much time on this. And I, I know that I've, I've touched on this before in the past that, that he doesn't say my power made you well. He says your faith made you well. He doesn't say my power made you well. He says your faith made you well. And so which was it? Was it the power of Jesus? He said, I perceived that some power went out for me. Was it, was it the power of Jesus or was it the faith of this woman? The answer is yes. Was it the power of Jesus or was it the faith of this woman? The answer is yes. That 
that yes, it was the power of Jesus. And yes, the power of Jesus was released into her life as a consequence of her faith. And so because of her faith, she was able to, to, to access something that many other people could have touched, but they didn't understand the significance of what it was that they were coming in contact with. And so this, uh, this woman, she crawls through the crowd, covered in dirt. She's being pushed and pulled by, by other people, and she just brushes the hem of his garment. She doesn't grab his hand. She doesn't put her finger into the, uh, into the hole in his hand. She doesn't uh, uh, ask him to lay hands and, and declare over her or pray over her. She just brushes the hem of his garment and she's healed immediately. And so we see a connection, Isaiah chapter 6, that when he is exalted, when the Lord is high and lifted up, the train of his robe fills the temple. It becomes unavoidable. And when what happened in this woman's life is that inside of her, Jesus was exalted. It, the posture of her heart was to glorify the Lord. The posture of her heart was to exalt him. The posture of her heart was to say, I know that he's got something that, that no physician ever could have given me, that no rabbi ever could have given me. I see in him a glory that is not of this world, and I have to get close to him. And so what happens is she exalts him, and because of her exaltation, she receives a touch from the hem of his garment, the train of his robe, as Isaiah 6 put it. And she's healed because of it. And so I want to keep going. Are we following here? Are you seeing the connection? Okay, so in Isaiah 6.1, we learn that, that where he is exalted, the train of his robe fills the temple. In Luke chapter 8, verses 43 and 44, we learn that uh, where he is exalted and the train of his robe fills the temple, that it heals those it comes into contact with, okay? Now let's keep going. Why does it heal those it comes in contact with? You want to learn? You want to find out? Revelation 19. I'm going to go to Revelation 19. And I will read, uh, starting in, in verse 11, uh, Revelation 19, uh, 11, it says this, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Listen to this. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Why does the hem of his garment, the train of his robe, heal the people it touches? Because it carries with it the blood that was shed for their sake. We see the train of his robe fill the space wherever he's exalted in Isaiah chapter 6. We see it bring healing, redemption, restoration, legacy to the life of the people that it touches in Luke chapter 8. And then we learn exactly why it does that in Revelation chapter 19. It does that because with the hem of his garment comes the blood from his veins. Because with the hem of his garment comes the blood from his veins. If, if, if we can just touch him just a little bit. I don't have to understand him. I don't have to think the way that he thinks. I don't have to do the things that he does. I don't need to go everywhere with him if I can just touch him. I believe that there's healing for me in that place. And it is, it's not the hem of his garment that carries that power. It is the exaltation of your heart 
It is the adoration of your heart that actually unlocks the power that Jesus has made available to us. It is the exaltation, the adoration of your heart that unlocks the power that Jesus has made available to us. And I say this to you because this to me has become, uh, when, I, when I first heard this from the Lord, it must have been nearly 10 years ago that I, I remember sitting in a car after this service talking with uh, my wife about it. And, um, and, and I said to her, I, th- I think that I have uh, failed to see the significance of worship until now. That, that actually my greatest ministry to the, the, the broken or the sick or the lacking people that God might bring into proximity to me or, or into my sphere of influence, my greatest contribution to them would be to exalt the Lord in their presence. My, my greatest contribution to their life would be to worship him around them so that the train of his robe might fill the office or might fill the sanctuary or might fill the doctor's office or might fill the grocery store or it might fill the, uh, the street corner or it might fill the, the Starbucks, the coffee shop. It might fill wherever it is that the Lord has placed me, my cubicle at work. It might fill the, uh, uh, the school building, wherever Yahweh has put me. If I can exalt him in that place, if I can posture my heart to make a big deal out of the beauty and holiness of Jesus, what I will find is that I actually create an atmosphere where the train of his robe dipped in the blood of his son can fill the room and heal those that it touches. I got lunch with Angel today, me and Miss Candace. Hi, Angel. And uh, uh, it's good to have you here. I'm glad you're here. And... um, and we were talking about something that, that I think is really critical for leaders. And so I'm going to talk about, uh, I have to go here. In Matthew 16, I wasn't planning to go here, but, uh, but she got me stirred up today. So Matthew chapter 16. Um, yeah. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Uh, and they, uh, sorry, who do men, he said, who do men say that I, the son of man am in verse 13 of Matthew 16. So they said, some said John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That is the most important question asked in all of scripture. Who do you say that I am? Because you've got to remember the context here is that there were Pharisees telling him you're possessed by a demon. They never got to receive the reward of having uh, encountered the Messiah. There, were, uh, there was a rich young ruler that, that said, uh, I think you're a, a good teacher. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And he wasn't saying, I'm not good, only God is good. He was saying, are you claiming that I'm God? Because if you are, you're going to receive something that only God could give you. But if all I am is a teacher, you're going to have to receive something only a teacher can give you. And, uh, and so what happens in, in Matthew 16 is this pivotal moment, this significant life-changing moment, not just for Peter, 
but, but, but for, for all of us as well. He says, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, uh, that for, I think, all sorts of prophetic communities can mean, uh, has meant different things in history. I, but I think that the, uh, the, the common sort of interpretation of what he meant when he says, the, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, is that if you speak it, I will do it. And I think we all know that's not true. It wasn't even true for Peter. I think that, that the, the truth is that uh, in the Bible there are three uh, different things that are spoken about when it comes to uh, heaven. There is heaven, that is the dwelling place of God. There is what we'd call the heavens, uh, and that's like where the sun, moon, and the stars are, outer space. Then there's the heavens, and that is the atmosphere, where the birds live. And, um, uh, and so when, if, if we take it out of this sort of dichotomization of, uh, of, of there's heaven way up there, that's where God is, and there's earth way down here, and this is where we are, and, and, we, and we look at it like maybe heaven isn't real far away, we begin to realize that the heavens begin at the end of our own nose. Biblically speaking, the heavens begin at the end of our own nose, at the top of our own head. This is the heavens right here. And, uh, and so when, when Jesus says, I will give you the, the keys to the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I believe that what Jesus is teaching is that whatever you bind, Peter, I'm going to set you as the cornerstone of this kingdom I'm building. And whatever you bind in your life will be bound in the atmosphere around you. Whatever you, whatever you forbid in your own life will be forbidden in the atmosphere around you. Whatever you allow, whatever you loose in your own life will be loosed into the atmosphere around you. I don't think that it was a promise of power. I think that it was a warning of responsibility. I should say it like this. I don't think it was merely a promise of power. I think it was also a warning of responsibility that he's saying to Peter, Peter, I'm going to make you the foundation that I build the kingdom on. I'm going to need you to make wise decisions about what you do and what you allow in your own life. And we've, we've seen this. I, I, think, I think many of us have seen this play out that where you have uh, you know, a, a father who is dysfunctional, the house that he leads will probably be dysfunctional. This is what it means, that he's got the keys to the kingdom. Whatever he binds in his own earth, whatever he binds in his world, his own personal reality gets, gets bound in the lives of the people that are around him, the things that he has authority over. I believe that what Yeshua was teaching Peter in this moment is that what you allow in your life will be allowed into the lives of everyone that follows you. What you forbid in your own life will be forbidden in the lives of everyone who comes after you. This is critical for us. I, you know, I, I, this is the sort of thing I, I'd love to, uh, to speak to, to all the husbands, all the fathers, all the ministry leaders, that, that all of you, even mothers, women, I think that those of us who are in this room would say I'm called to any type of leadership. 
And if you're in this room, it's because you feel called to some type of leadership. And whether that's political leadership, business leadership, ministry leadership, if you just want to lead a family, this is something that is critical for us to understand. That we actually have not only the authority, but also the responsibility to govern our own internal world. Because the way we govern our internal world will determine the way we impact the external one. The way you govern your internal world will determine the way you impact the external world. Did you hear that? The way you govern your internal world will determine the way you impact the external one. This is, I think, maybe the most critical message that I could give to leaders in America today. For too long, we have abdicated our own personal responsibility for the world around us. And as a result, you have pastors that are having affairs and people in their church are struggling with sexual sin and don't know why. You have, you have husbands that are secretly looking at pornography and their wives are struggling with insecurity and don't know why. You have uh, uh, parents that are, are struggling with secret strife and areas of compromise and their kids are struggling with depression and don't know why. And what's happening is that people are being exposed to difficulty, to struggle, to hardship because the people that are in authority in their life are not understanding their own ability to bind or to loose blessing or curses into the life of the people that they lead. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you forbid or allow in your life will be forbidden or allowed in the life of the people around you. This is for me. This is a message for me. And it may be heavier now than ever before because I look into the eyes of people that will be impacted by the decisions that I make, good or bad. You know, I've, I have believed this in private. Uh, I've received this word when no one was around and no, nobody was really following me, you know, for more than a, a night at a time when we would, I'd come through and do an event and preach the gospel. But, uh, but, but to realize the, 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 the weight of the responsibility that I have, not to walk in integrity because that's what God wants from me, but to walk in integrity because that's what I want for you. Because I don't want you to have to slay a dragon that I should have dealt with years ago. Because I, I don't want you to have to face a giant that I should have dealt with years ago. And this, this for, for me as the head of this house, is, is a weighty, serious, sobering revelation. That not only do I have the power to transform an atmosphere, but I have the responsibility to do it. And the way that I do it is by governing my own internal world my own personal integrity, my own private thought life, my own private uh, speech. And it is by governing in those areas, by taking responsibility, by taking ownership in those areas that I can set up all those under my authority, my, my wife, my kids, my church members, uh, for success or for failure. And that depends on me. And so uh, I, uh, I say this because as we're talking about the train of his robe filling the temple. We're not simply talking about accessing healing for ourselves. We're talking about accessing healing for everyone who might, God might send around us. Everyone God might put into a room with us. And as we exalt him, like the, the woman with the issue of blood, as we exalt him, we can posture and position ourselves to lay hold of the things that are only available in his presence. The healing, the wholeness, the provision, the protection, the blessing, the joy, the peace, 
the, the forgiveness. These are the things that are only available, only accessible in his presence. And if they are accessible in his presence, I think the best thing we could do for the world is to get them in his presence. And how do we get them in his presence? But we exalt him. That's it. We exalt him. We, we make a big deal out of the one who sits on the throne. And where his people will make a big deal out of him, he will fill that place with his robe dipped in blood. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar as we work to establish the Kingdom of Heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org for more information.